So Mark, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 26, we're going to go to verse 42. Um, and so this is God's word. Mark 14, starting in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again... He came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, uh, what a hard passage, uh, but we, it's your word, um, and you've given it to us because you love us, and so there's, there is good stuff, there is grace on these pages, and so I pray that you would uh, help us, that you would help us see your uh, great kindness and great love for us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so my question, have you ever been overconfident? You know what I'm saying? Like, really full of yourself. Like, super confident. Uh, I have, so you're in good company. Well, a a guy I know named Michael Gordon, he's a pastor in Nebraska, he tells a story about receiving an award from his karate instructor when he was in the fourth grade. All right? Now, this this is an awesome award. It was called the Chuck Norris Outstanding Student of Karate Award. Okay, that's a long award, by the way. And so he was extremely confident. I would be too. He probably thought he was essentially Chuck Norris. Uh, Maybe a little too confident, right? But this this would change. Uh, This would change one day when he showed up for the wrong karate class. Uh, So through some sort of confusion, Michael, a fourth grader with a junior blue belt, he showed up to the black belt class. And uh, now he could have waited for his mom 
which would have been wise, smart thing to do. But he was Chuck Norris, essentially, right? Like, he had the Chuck Norris Outstanding Student Award. He would be okay, right? Famous last words. Uh, And so he was okay, actually, for a little while, until they got to the sparring section of the class. Uh, And so he was matched up with someone, like, several years older than him, but not much bigger. He was a little anxious. I mean, we're talking about black belt. But he's confident. He's confident because it was a girl. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. And he thought to himself, I, I got this. Like, I'm strong enough to take her. And so when the, the first round of, uh, of sparring began, he fired off a couple back fists. You know, just a little jab that you tap in the back of your fist. Quick back fist. He connected. Her head snapped back. Yes, he hit a girl. It's awful. He scored some points. And so this young Chuck Norris was really, really confident at this point. Had this huge smile go across his face. And so the second round begins, and he's like, I'm just going to try the same move. (laughs) Probably not a good idea with a black belt. But he tries the same move, only to find this girl enter some sort of, like, matrix mode. (laughs) Like, some sort of, like, she goes, like, Bruce, she channels Bruce Lee or something. Um, And within seconds, Michael is on the ground. Within seconds, where he would be for the rest of the class, on the ground. Uh, she, like what she did, she blocked his punch and then kind of lunged forward like GSP. That's George St. Pierre, in case any of you know who I'm talking about. Like GSP, right? Raised her knee with some epic force between his legs, <laughs> lifting him off the ground. Literally, he is at one point airborne. Uh, and for, a, for only a moment, though, he's airborne. He's back to the ground, face down on the mat. Everyone stopped. Everyone stared. The young Chuck Norris Jr. blue belt was down for the rest of the evening. And, and I think it's a funny story. We probably all got stories like this. I mean, we all do this kind of thing, if we're really honest. Like, we, we think we're stronger than we really are. I mean, like, we're super confident. And when we meet a girl with a black belt, you know, there's times in life when, like, the heat rises, things get challenging. Uh, what do we do? I mean, we, we, oftentimes we, we struggle, we fail. Um, you know, our weaknesses are exposed for everyone to stop and to stare at. And so the reality is, like, we don't know ourselves that well. Like, we don't. Uh, we, we think we do, but we don't know ourselves that well. We don't know how weak we really are. Uh, we, we might have maybe an idea, but we just don't know the depths of our weakness. Um, maybe we just don't want to admit it. I don't know about you. I mean, I don't want to admit I'm weak. Like, who wants to do that? Uh, you know, uh, just kind of own our weaknesses. You know, maybe we're blind to them completely. Like, there's weaknesses in my life I really probably I don't see. Like, I really don't see them. Um, but the reality, the reality, no matter kind of how we would answer those kind of questions is, I mean, we just, can't, we just can't see our weakness. Like, we don't, we don't know it's there. We don't know how weak we actually are. And despite our inability to truly see ourselves, right, as we really are, Jesus can. Like, he can. And so the question I want us to think about tonight as we look at this passage is, what does Jesus see? What does Jesus see? What does he see here? What does he see in this passage? And there's kind of two things he's going to see and we're going to talk about. One is Jesus saw 
man's weakness. And the other thing we're going to talk about is Jesus saw God's wrath. One was behind him, one was in front. And so, let's just start with the first one. Uh, Jesus saw man's weakness. This kind of comes out of verses 26 to 31. Uh, The last time we were together, it was Thursday, right? It was just not Thursday, literally, but Thursday in the Bible. Uh, It's only been hours since then. Like, it's only been hours since Jesus' last supper with his 12 disciples. And they go out to this place called the Mount of Olives. uh, And Jesus has a hard conversation with them in verses 26 to 31. It all starts out with, you know... Like, you guys are going to fail. I mean, Jesus is kind of telling them that the effects that my death will have on his followers, like how it's going to affect them. And he says, you will all fall away. It's a great, it's a great way to start the night. I just had a great meal. Thank you, Jesus. Essentially, he's saying, you will fail. Not, not, I mean, not necessarily intentionally, but you will fail, all of you. And this quickly narrows into narrows down into an interaction between Peter and Jesus. Peter says, I love this. It's a little bravado, you know, like he says, even though they fall away, what? I will not. Peter thinks for some sort of reason he's an exception to the rule. Like I know these guys that yeah, I've been with them for a few years. They're probably gonna fall away. I won't. Um, but Jesus goes on, and he, I mean, he, it's, it's amazing what he says to Peter. Uh, he goes, actually, no, you'll deny me. You will disown me three times this very night. Well, actually, within just hours from now. Um, and three is like a really significant number for the people that would have been reading this story, the people that would have been hearing this story, um, the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, when they hear the number three, they would think completion. Um, and so doing something three times, Peter, is not a slip-up. He didn't like, accidentally fail. He didn't accidentally deny. Mark, you know, he could be doing this. He could be highlighting here that Peter will completely fail. Like, Peter is going to be a complete failure. And that's harsh. Uh, and then Peter, even after Jesus says this to him, what if Peter does something that's bad? Peter goes, no, no, look at verse 31. He emphatically says, I will, I will never deny you, even if I have to die with you. That's crazy. One writer says such claims, like Peter just made, are more easily made in the ease and safety than in the crucible of temptation and opposition. And we know that. We experience that. It's easy to sit around with your friends and talk about things you'll never do until you're faced with them, the option to do it, right? Uh, and so like Peter, uh, we, we have this tendency to think kind of we are more put together than we really are. Um, you know, compl- like we're really, I mean, completely unaware of just how weak we are. We, you know, I don't know about you, but I like have this inflated confidence. Just ask my wife. Like I have this inflated confidence in my own ability and so we do the very thing Peter does. Like, we've all done exactly what he did. Uh, and this is it. Uh, if we all went around the room, we could all tell stories about how, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, we, we all have standards, we all have things, we all do this. And we say, I will never fill in the blank. We do. I will never blank. 
I mean, we make promises to others. We make promises to ourselves all the time. I mean, just think about friendships and relationships. Um, you know, we make promises to our friends. Hey, I'm going to be your friend forever. You know what I'm talking about? And then conflict happens. And, and a, a more convenient friend comes along. Well, what happens to the other friend? They slowly fade away. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. We, I, we've done it. Um, you know, think about relationships, man. I mean, man, we'll, we'll never go that far sexually. Right? Or I'll never cheat. You know? I mean, we say I'll never do stuff. But then the heat gets turned up, and you do things you said you never would do. We think things we said we would never think. Um, every Christian guy on the planet has probably made some promise to never look at pornography again. Like, I know. How'd that go? It didn't go well. We, like, fell miserably, right? Uh, it's, it's amazing. You, you, I hang out with dudes all the time. We talk about all kinds of stuff. And anytime a guy knows how many days it's been since he looked at pornography, that probably means you've got a serious problem. Like, that's called addiction, right? I'm just keeping it real. Okay, I love y'all. That's what it is, though. And, and, and man, we make promises, man, I'm not going to do it. And then we fail miserably. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm, man, three months. I'm going to do it this time. Um, we're weak. Like, we're weak. And we don't like to admit it. Um, you know, we never think we are as bad as we actually are. Peter's not going to make it an hour. And he's going to fail Jesus miserably. He hadn't even started denying him yet. Like, he's just going to go to sleep. <laughs> Like, dude is going to not do what Jesus is asking him to do. It's amazing. He does not, I'll never fail you. In one hour, he's like, just, just out, cold, sleeping away. It's awesome. Uh, Jesus, it's amazing because what Jesus sees in all of this is he sees like our real human nature. It's fallen, it's broken, it's messy. Uh, he sees it. Like, Jesus sees how weak and wicked we are deep down, like he does. And uh, the, the more, what's amazing is that the more we see our weaknesses and the more we kind of own them, confess them to our friends, you know, the, the actual, the closer we become to people, right? the, the community really starts to flourish. People really feel comfortable around you. They love and respect you. They want to spend time with you because they know, man, this guy's he struggles with stuff too. Like, and he's honest about it. And so it's a safe place. Uh, it's amazing what, when you start just kind of letting it out, like, I'm weak, I'm broken. It's amazing what it can do to your relationship with other people and to God. Now, I know, I look at you, I know you're a little depressed right now. I, I'm not here to depress you, so let's keep going because it gets better, okay? I promise. Just keeping it real, but let's keep going. So Jesus, I don't, like, I say I'm not here to depress you, and then the next thing I'm about to talk about is God's wrath. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Verses 32 to 42. So Jesus sees the disciples. He sees like weakness. He sees them, right? But he also sees something else. He sees God's wrath. And so Jesus and the disciples are they're at the Mount of Olives, this place called Gethsemane, right? Jesus is about to go pray. He tells the disciples to kind of just sit, hang out. But he takes Peter, James, and John. He's like, I actually want you three to come with me. Um, 
And he takes them to kind of this secluded part of the garden to pray. And as they go, look at what happens in verse 33 and 34. It's amazing. Kind of starting at the end of verse 33. He's got Peter, James, and John, right? They began, And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And then Jesus kind of makes it just a few steps farther, and what is it? He collapses to the ground. Like he can't even make it any farther. He collapses, and he starts praying that this hour might pass. It's unbelievable. Uh, this hour might pass. This hour referring to the time, like his time to die. Like he's about to die. Uh, and, and so here's my question. And so this is going to sound really irreverent, Okay. But hang in there with me, because you'll understand where I'm going in a second. Uh, Why is Jesus falling apart? Like, why does Jesus in this moment look like a wimp? It's a great question. Like, why? I mean, we're talking about the Son of God, the unshakable Son of God, right? Um, the, The reason I ask that is because all throughout the gospel, we have heard him talk about dying. He's been telling people it's coming. Like, he's not surprised. Um, and also, if, if you just read throughout history, if you watch the news, there are so many other people that face death with composure and courage. Right? And Jesus is collapsing. He's really afraid. What's, what's going on? I mean, Socrates, if any of you are philosophy majors, Socrates... While he was executed slowly, there's this amazing quote. Like, he greeted death as a friend. Like, he did it fearlessly. He died fearlessly. Uh, or t- you can take, there's thousands of Christians that have been killed for their faith. Uh, and so many others, too. Not just Christians. But there's a couple. This guy named Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. They were bishops in England. They were burned at the stake. Right? They were burned at the stake for their faith in Oxford, England, back in the 1500s. And they were tied side by side. And when the fire was lit at their feet, Latimer said this. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley. And play the man. Like they died with so much courage. And there's amazing details about their death. It was not fast. It was awful. It's unbelievable. But they died courageously. And so, back to that original question. Well, what's going on with Jesus? Like Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he asks, why is it that many of Jesus' followers have died better than Jesus? Courageously. Like, you know what I'm saying? Why does Jesus, who has foreseen his death, talked about it, been marching towards it from the beginning, now collapse and sweat blood at the thought of it? It's a great question. Why? Because you and I both know Jesus isn't a wimp. There's nothing wimpy about Jesus. And so, like, he's unshakable. And so something is happening in this garden. Something is happening that's never happened to any other human being. Jesus is facing something beyond physical death. And you see what it is in verse 36. You know exactly what it is. When Jesus prays, Remove this cup from me. Like, is there any other way? 
I mean, Jesus is breaking to pieces because he saw the cup. That's what we're going to talk about. Like, he experienced a taste of what's to come. All right, so let's talk about this cup thing, man. It's obviously a big deal. Um, so the cup was like, it, it, it was a metaphor for God's wrath. Uh, the, you see this image of the cup all throughout the Old Testament. And so anybody would have knew it. Like, they would have known exactly what he's talking about. Uh, you see it in places like Ezekiel 23, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This cup. Um, this image of a cup is one of, like, divine justice being poured out on sinners, on wickedness. And to drink the cup, right, to drink the cup meant shame and alienation from God. And so Jesus asked if there is any other way to save people. Like he buckled when he just got a glimpse of what was, what was about to experience on the cross. When he just got a glimpse of the cup of God's wrath, he kind of buckled started literally sweating blood, drops of blood. Um, and so here's why he's buckling. It's not physical death. It's the fact that, that Jesus is about to be separated from God the Father. Like he's about to be an alienated. Like he's about to experience hell, literally. Jesus, since all eternity, all he has ever known is the perfect love and fellowship with the Father, but now all he sees before him is God's wrath. Um, and so, I'm sure y'all are like, man, Brian's a guy I want to hang out with. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Okay, so this is where we're at in the story of Peter. Okay, we just got to deal with it. And so now, some of us, if, if we're honest, like, we're really uncomfortable, like, right now. Like, we're, we're super uncomfortable the culture does not like the idea of the wrath of God. Uh, we, we want a God of love, do we not? Yes. Loving God, bring it on. But an angry God it is hard to like. Like, he's angry? I don't know if I like him. But I shouldn't. I should like him. And so now I'm really, you know, like we do that thing. Uh, like, we just don't know what to do with an angry God. We really struggle with the concept of God being both loving and angry at the same time. One pastor says that, that the problem is that if you want a loving God, okay, you have to have an angry God. Okay, hang in there with me. Don't check out. I know fall break's coming. This is what I'm going to propose, and, and we're just going to talk about it for a minute. I'm going to propose that you actually want an angry God. You do. So do I. Uh, you do. You want an angry God. So let's think about this. A couple reasons why. Um, Loving people can get angry, right? And get angry because of their love. Think about that. The more deeply you love people in your life, the angrier you can get. Just ask my wife. Like the other day, I go pick my little girl up at preschool. She's got a scratch on her face. A little two-year-old did it. Two-year-old? I was mean mugging the whole time. Like, <laughs> what, you want to do something? You know, and then her granddad came in, and I was like, what? You, you, like, we can go outside right now. You don't mess with my kid. Like, you don't, and I mean, I, I was angry. I went home. I just went home at 10 a.m. I couldn't think. I couldn't do any more work. I was so mad. 
some of y'all saw me. They're like, where are you going? I was like, I, I just got to go. I'm done. I, got, I can't do this anymore. I'm mad. I can't think. And, uh, you know, I mean, think about it. Like, you, how do you feel when someone you know or you see it on TV, someone's abused? Like, you get mad. You do. That's not because you're not loving. It's actually because you are loving. Like, you get mad. Why? Because you care. You care. God is angry because he cares. You see what I'm saying? Like, God's angry because he cares. He cares so much that he is going to do something about it. Like, he's going to do something about the sin and the misery of this world. Tim Keller, I mentioned him earlier. He says, the more loving you are, the more ferociously angry you will be at whatever harms your beloved. And, and that's okay. Uh, because you love them. Another reason, just to think about briefly, another reason you want an angry God is because it gives you an idea of how valuable you are. Okay, like, I mean, Jesus suffered incredibly to save you. And by suffer, I mean he took on God's anger, that cup of wrath. He drank every drop, right? Like, the, the, the God of the Bible pays the ultimate price because you are that valuable to him. Right? Yeah, does that mean? I hope that's encouraging. Um, and so, let's do this. We've looked at this passage. I can tell you're, you're like you feel it. I do too. Um, I want you, let's see, we're going to get in a 757. We're going to go up 35,000 feet, cruising altitude. And we're going to think about this passage for a second. Um, I want you to picture this scene in your mind. Jesus is standing there in the garden, okay? And, and I want you to imagine, he's standing there and he looks back. He looks back and he sees the disciples. The ones that's been with him for a long time, right? He sees the disciples, the ones he's caught sleeping three times after they were asked to remain and watch, uh, which is punishable by death, FYI, if you're in the military, right? And they caught you sleeping, they're going to kill you back then. Um, so it's punishable by death. So behind him, he sees this fellowship of failures, right? Just think about it. Fellowship of failures, all their sin, all their weakness. He sees it all, even the stuff they don't see. And ahead of him, what does he see? He sees the cup of God's wrath. It buckles him. Like he's about to experience something he has never experienced, right? He's about to absorb all of God's wrath. And so here's the million-dollar question. Like, what does Jesus do? Right? Because he's moving forward for the fellowship of failures. And so what does he do? Look at the end of verse 36. It's the greatest thing in this passage. It's so good. The end of verse 36. He says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Right? Jesus took the cup. Like Jesus goes, he takes the cup so that you will never have to. You get that? Like nobody else has got anything like this out there. It's unbelievable. We are like we are so messed up. We we I am. I'm the most messed up person in this room. I'm so messed up. God had to crush his son, literally crush him, to fix it. And yet at the same time, we are so loved that Jesus was willing to be crushed for us. Man, that, that, is the, that is grace. 
That is the gospel. That is good news. That is what you and I long for. And so just, do you know Jesus? Like, do you know him? Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much that Jesus stood in my place. Like, you're not angry at me. You're not angry at any of those who trust in Jesus because he took all your anger away. He absorbed it. And so, Lord, would we see him? Would we look to him? Would we trust him? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.